This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by BidSquare. BidSquare.com is an online platform where you can explore and bid online during an actual live auction. Browse and bid on a curated selection of fine art and antiques from over 90 trusted and vetted auction houses. BidSquare is the destination for collectors seeking exceptional, one-of-a-kind pieces. New art and decorative items are added every day. You can leave a bid or bid real-time during any auction. BidSquare's innovative technology connects you with trusted auction houses all around the world. Registration is free. Sign up now on www.bidsquare.com. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. In this week's episode, we're joined by Katja Kazakina, art market reporter for Bloomberg News. We've got a fun end-of-the-year podcast for you as Katja's here to reflect with us on the art market over the past year. Katja, how have you been? We're all kind of going through that, it seems. Uh, First, what were some of the biggest stories or themes from 2015, in your opinion, in the art world and the art market? Well, to me, it seems like, first of all, that the market is is in the middle of a of a transition that's going to be pretty major and uh, touch on every segment of the market. And in 2015, to me. One of the biggest stories was really the the wars of auction houses. You know, we can say that. You know, and uh, kind of a very interesting dynamic uh, developing between Christie's, Sotheby's, and Phillips, which is a much smaller auction house by revenue, but in the contemporary uh, field, it, it, it's it's an important player and. Um, and so three of these auction houses, they um, all have new CEOs this year. And, uh, you know, they're really in the middle of, um, you know, very brutal war for top consignments. Um, and uh, the guarantees have been major weapons in that uh, arena. And then, but the market is softening. Uh, and uh, kind of the third quarter volatility in the financial markets um, was a big uh, kind of impact uh, on that. And so, you know, the auction houses kind of ended in a in a place, a very different place from the year ended in a very different place from where it started. But um, you know, lots of uh, uh, you know, there, there's we've seen poaching, we've seen resignation of major uh, auction house uh, specialists and uh, executives. Uh, you know, and so it, it, what's happening under these three new CEOs? Who you know, at Christie's, there's a uh, uh, Patricia Barbazet at uh, Sotheby's, Ted Smith started uh, in in March, and uh, Philip uh, is uh, Ed Dolman, who of course spent. Ten years as uh, CEO of Christie's, and uh, it, you know the, the strategies are being redefined. I think as we speak, you know, to face a slower market, and uh, there is a consolidation of departments. There has been layoffs and and buyouts. Uh, so I think that that's a really a fascinating story. Uh, you know, it's got to be. You know, which is a public company, and uh, you know, shares uh, really have been beaten brutally. You know, we, you know, they fell into twenty six 
dollars, you know, this month, and it was a four-year low, and uh, so far this year, they're down 39%. Uh, and, um, you know, there, but, but there's, at the same time, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening at each, each one of those houses, and so I think that that, that was a, a very interesting story to me to follow and to cover. And uh, another interesting story to me was uh, the kind of emergence of these mega uh, private museums. And of course, there have been a steady increase in, in private museums set up by collectors. But this year, it was uh, especially Buzzy, I would say, you know, Eli Broad opened a museum in Los Angeles, right? The Broad in, in September and then Prada Foundation had uh, its its uh, new space in Italy, garage, you know, Tasha Zhukova opened garage in Moscow and half of the art world moved there, you know, for, to celebrate in, in May. And, uh, you know, no, even in uh, Beirut, you know, there's a couple of collectors opened the uh, IEC Foundation uh, designed by David Adja, you know, in, in October. And so they're just uh, around the world there, these really glamorous spaces being opened that in some ways could probably rival uh, public museums. And they have massive holdings, you know, the broad collection, you know, estimated at $2 billion, you know, it's uh, uh, really he's been collecting for decades and, uh, so, so, so that is also a very interesting uh, kind of phenomenon that, that uh, I think was uh, this year really uh, solidified. Looking at artists, which artists do you think had the best 2015? So that could be in terms of market buzz, price escalation, career growth, whatever kind of metric uh, you want to look at. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, question. And you know, there are so many artists who had a, a just tremendous year, and uh, there there are different ways to kind of look at it. You know, I was I was looking at the some of the auction. Let's say if we're looking at auction revenue right, generated by artists, you know, this year we've seen just kind of earth shattering records uh, for for Picasso, for Giacometti, for Mattigliani, you know, over $150 million, $150 million uh, um, and um, so these kinds of prices, of course, d- d- distort in a way the markets, you know, even Picasso, you know, key revenue just spiked, you know, because in part of the uh, of the painting uh, in May that sold for $179 million at Christie. So, you know, that, that sort of, you know, these artists have seen massive spikes, right? But then, kind of, below that, I think a very interesting story that continues and uh, kind of accelerates, I think, is that the discovery of artists who were important but maybe overlooked by the market or maybe, you know, undervalued whose prices who prices are, you know, under undervalued compared to some of their peers, you know, in in that top top category. So, for example, one of these artists is uh, very well known, um, Frank Stella. But you know, again, his market was, uh, you know, prices were low compared to some of some of his peers, and and now he is. Uh, 
experiencing a, a, a great uptick in, in prices, but also, you know, and, and just re-examination of, of his work. There is a, a, a beautiful career retrospective at the new Whitney Museum on view right now. And uh, in November, Sotheby's sold one of his early paintings for $13 million, which was more than double the previous auction record. You know, and then in Miami, Gerard Basel, Miami Beach, just a couple of weeks ago, you could see his works in many booths, you know, ranging from, you know, there was this beautiful 25-foot wide painting, you know, just a really stunner. Um, yeah, there were reliefs and sculptures and paintings. Uh, Dominique Levy sold one painting, an early painting, for $2.7 million. So there was a lot of activity in his market. Um, so that was one artist that came to mind. And then, you know, another interesting kind of um, trend is, is this uh, re-examination of important post-war movements that took place outside of the U.S., uh, an early search for discovery of re-examination was Arda Pulver. You know, it's not new, but it's very much continuous, that, that story. And and uh, artists uh, like uh, Lucio Fontana and Alberto Buri, who has a, a retrospective at the Guggenheim at the moment, you know, their prices are really uh, increasing. I mean, Fontana, you know, sort of considered the warhol of the Italian market. And uh, in October, during auctions, again, during Freeze Week in London, there were cheeseworks were all over the fairs. And then at Saturdays and Christie, offered 24 pieces together by him. And I think 21 of them sold. The most expensive one was close to $25 million at an auction record for him um, and any Italian artist. At auction, so that that very very strong prices and many times you know I think doubling the previous auction revenue uh, from 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 a year ago. Uh, so that is also interesting. And then kind of you know to to a lesser degree in terms of uh, values, but also you know there are certain other movements. You know Japan's Gutai movement also is very popular and works by. Uh, Kazuo Shiraga, kind of known for for painting with his bare feet, you know, uh, also a bag by several very important taste making kind of market making galleries, uh, and so his prices are up significantly. And then, you know, Korean art, minimalist art from you know, say 1970s, is 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 really on fire. And again, you know, as with Italian as with Gutai, we're seeing, you know, very uh, serious uh, galleries, you know, um, initiating this rediscovery, you know, and then museums uh, jumping uh, on the bandwagon, and then, you know, in some cases, you know, in many cases, curators, uh, you know, walking into, uh, you know, there, there are some, uh, there are a couple of female uh Lebanese artists who who are very uh, kind of hot at the moment, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, curator walks into a studio, and then there is seventy years of work, you know, untouched there, and so 
that 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 sort of that excitement um, spills over into the market. Looking at artists, another interesting storyline from 2015 seemed to be the young emerging artists who are flipped so frequently at auction in the market. It finally has seemed to have enough of that, and we see those younger artists not appearing as frequently at auction, and when they do, typically they don't do as well as they had um, in the past year. In 2016, what do you think happens with this trend as well as these plethora of artists who were really young and they got really hot and then they've started to cool down from a market perspective? In 2014 and partly in 2015, there was a group of, uh, of artists and they, many of them worked on the abstract, uh, kind of process-based abstract abstraction which was uh, had a very clever name, you know, by given by Walter Robinson, who's an artist and critic. He called it zombie formalism, and it's stuck and it's uh, sort of this type of art, right? So, uh, you know, probably like Lucian Smith was uh, one of the poster kind of kids of that. Oscar Murillo, you know, prices going seven, six thousand percent, you know. In I don't know a year or two, insane appreciation, and and then behind them there was a whole like generation of of these types of artists, and uh, that you know things have cooled off. Although Murillo market seems stable, you know he landed with David Warner, and and seems like that market is under control. Although no new auction records have been set, but the primary prices are are very high. You know they're like two two fifty or three hundred thousand dollars, and they seem to be selling them. But, um, so I don't, you know, we saw like in September and October and November that, you know, collectors seem to have enough of that. And, uh, I've heard you know, some artists, people just like say they're toxic, you know, don't go near them. Um, so I think, but, but I think that there is a huge demand and, and just excitement about this kind of a discovery, right. About, uh, Finding an artist uh, who will just fly, right? And 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 you know the risk at this level is relatively low uh, because most of these prices, initial prices, are you know around ten, maybe less than ten for some of them, maybe a little more. You know, these early stages and the fact you know the, the possibility that it will shoot, right, and then sell for two or three hundred thousand dollars is is very. Um, you know, very attractive. So I don't think it's going to stop necessarily, but probably the volume of it is going to decrease. And, you know, it, it maybe would be uh, like individual artists rather than, you know, dozens of artists. But, you know, you can see already there's a, kind of a pendulum is swinging a little bit from abstraction to figuration and, you know, how artificial it is. You know, it's hard to say. And obviously, people have always worked in figuration, but because the last few years, what was hot was abstraction. And so, in uh, Miami, again, you know, Jeffrey Deitch, for example, teamed up with Larry Gagosian and they put together this exhibition on realism. And it was uh, kind of organized around this, inspired by a group of young artists working in figuration. You know, and uh, and then it's kind of a more historic uh, survey of artists from the 80s, 90s, etc. But you know, the core of this show was 
a small group of, again, emerging young artists. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if they appear at auction next year and uh, because there's a lot of demand for their works, right? They sell for fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. You know, they appear in, uh, you know, some of the names that, you know, I, actually, it's funny, I got, like, I saw there's a list of, of, of like, about 20 of his artists, you know, that it's kind of circulating, you know, with who, who is, like, super hot. And, uh, you know, I, well, I'd be surprised if one of them or many of them will be at auction next year, and we'll see this very similar kind of dynamics as we did before. No, of course not, because it just, I think, like I said, it's, it, it, the risk is very small, and and the possibility for upside is, is, is huge. Over this past year, to what extent have insiders started to view the online art market, whether it's e-commerce sites or even Instagram, as having an increasing influence and major influence in the art market moving forward? I think everyone is trying to figure out how to make money online. And, uh, you know, we know of uh, a growing number of internet Kind of auction companies or you know uh, kind of information companies uh, some of them are getting a lot of traction attracting kind of big name investors and um but I think nobody really has figured out how to actually become profitable in this space, and uh, that's a real problem um you know at the same time. It's an important space to be part of. Uh, and so, let's say, for the auction houses, Christie's has been doing online sales for several years now. It's a tiny fraction of their overall uh, turnover, but nevertheless, the growing part. And uh, again, um, for certain categories, it's, it, it works really well. Uh, you know, Sotheby's and Philips have uh, joined the fray this year. You know, both companies teamed up with eBay, uh, you know, selling art uh, on online and broadcasting their live auctions on eBay uh, channels. But Sotheby's, um, and then kind of for me, what I was also watching, when are they going to start doing online only auctions? And they began this fall, you know, pretty quietly and. Um, this uh, month, they just had a very successful sale uh, of uh, Star Wars memorabilia, you know, and, and it was uh, all sold, 100% sold um, for the total of about $500,000. Uh, so it just shows you that there are certain things that really land themselves to these kinds of online sale. Like, there is no need for... Star Wars auction to be installed in the room. You know, there are 175 lots. It gets very tedious. And also, the audience could be much broader that way, you know. And so, uh, it'll be interesting to see how profitable this uh, kind of segment becomes. You know, for me as, a, as an art market reporter, what troubles me is that, you know, there was a, a sense initially that internet is going to bring more transparency to the art market, which is notoriously opaque. But in fact, it it doesn't really, because a lot of these online auctions, the results disappear uh, as soon as the the lots are are hammered down or whatever, you know. And and uh, it's very hard to find the results. The company don't re- companies don't release them. 
And uh, my understanding, at least, is that the results are not that great. You know, uh, some players, you know, successful sales is 50% sold, you know, which is uh, which is uh, pretty low, you know, and so, or, or less, you know. So, so it, it would be interesting, you know, to see how this area develops. Uh, and in, in terms of Instagram, it is, it's hugely popular, right? And uh, everyone is on Instagram, um, you know, even, you know, the head of Christie's Contemporary Art Sales, uh, Brad Gorey is like I think he's addicted to Instagram and <laughs> jokes about it himself. Like he posts a lot of news on Instagram first, and he would say, "You saw it here first. <laughs> but he also like writes amazing, really interesting and insightful kind of short little essays about pieces that he likes. Anyway, my point is that everyone likes uh, Simone de Curie. He's on Instagram, and it, it, it's a great kind of area uh, platform to you know, to, to, to be personal maybe more than in their work or to promote things, to brand, you know, to sell branding, to market things. And, uh, you know, but uh, I think that people use Instagram and they look for things on Instagram, but then they probably would go to an artist or check an artist gallery and, and, and buy them that way. You know, they would see it there maybe and then go through more traditional channels. Uh, to acquire the works. Um, in fact, I think that there was even there was a story that I think Leonardo DiCaprio saw a work on Instagram and then bought it during Pulse, I think, there in in New York earlier this year. And then, you know, when I contacted the gallery, it turned out that he had been already collecting this artist, and he was very familiar with his work, and he saw something on Instagram, and then he went to the gallery. So it seems like oh. This is like a discovery, and but but in fact, it, it, it it's just a, another way to see things, you know, because there's so much happening in the art world, it's so global, right? It's it's a great way to keep track of 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 what's happening in galleries, uh, uh, museums, auctions around the world. And what would you point to as an area of the art market that struggled in a noticeable way in 2015? Well, I mean, at this point, it seems that you know that. You know the top, the top of the market, the very top trophy masterpiece market is uh, strong, right? The emerging art market is also strong, and this was evidenced um, by, like we say, at NADA in Miami again a couple of weeks ago. There was just a total feeding frenzy for works by emerging artists, but the middle market, right? That's where, you know. That's what has been suffering and uh, will continue probably to suffer as uh, the market, if the market contracts, right? Uh, in New York, a number of galleries closed, uh, um, sort of this mid-market, and uh, so that, that is one area. And then, um, you know, I recently uh, did a story about the, let's say, Russian art, right, uh, market, uh, which is really brutally contracted, you know, and again, you know, it's, it's in part because of the political and economic situation in Russia, because of the falling oil prices and, and, and the ruble and, um, and the economic sanctions. But, um, you know, the center of the Russian art market is in London, 
and there are twice a year there are these Russian art weeks um, at four auction houses, uh, some of these Christie's, Panams, and uh, Magdugos, for example, right? And so um, in December, the total from the four auction houses was 17 million pounds. And that was a decline of 58% from a year ago. Um, and, uh, you know, and every season in the last uh, two, three years, it was slower and lower and lower. So that market really suffered. And in fact, Christie's will no longer have Russian auctions, standalone Russian auctions in New York. Uh, the person who was heading the Department of Russian Artworks uh, is gone. And they're consolidating in London. Savages has already done that. Uh, and so I think that that's, we're going to see that more probably as the auction houses prepare for uh, a softer uh, market. They will just consolidate areas that are maybe not as glamorous or not as big cash cows as, uh, as, as, as others. And, you know, old master sales also in London were pretty weak uh, this month um, compared to um, a year ago. And lastly, do you have a sense of the sentiment on the strength of the market as we enter 2016? Well, I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that the market is cooling off and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the top of the market is, is behind us, most likely. Um, you know, I, it would be interesting to see what the auction totals for 2015 are compared to 2014. Um, Sotheby's actually uh, just released their year sales. You know, they, they do it regularly um, through, let's say, today is December 22nd. So, or I'm sorry, I think that it was through December 22nd. And um, and it's about $5.98 billion. Um, And a year ago, in 2014, they had six. So that's, seems to me flat, you know, on the year. I don't think they're going to have any more auctions this year. Um, probably a good indication of what's going to happen at Christie's. Uh, Christie's uh, November auctions in New York uh, were described by their one of their top executives as measured. Um, and uh, some of those were incredibly strong, but many were uh, disappointing, you know, so with the guarantees, you know, I think that auction houses will be thinking very, very hard about what works to guarantee going forward because uh, nobody wants to take a loss. Um, and um, so that would be uh, something to watch, I think. And, um, you know, in general, I feel like everyone is uh, saying that, you know, buyers are, are just more discerning, which means that you know, they're just not willing to throw money around. You know, people, you know, going to think. But sellers, you know, still the, the results of the last year, the, the top of the market was really, really strong. And, and so it was evident in, um, in, in Miami at the main fair uh, that, what the sellers want and what the buyers are willing to pay, there's a, a there's a growing gap, right, in this uh, delta, uh, and uh, 
<laughs> so yeah, usually on the first day I run around and look for all kinds of sales and particularly I, I look for the top sales of, of, of the fair. And I just wasn't finding them. And <laughs> I got mm-hmm. so uh, frustrated and nervous, you know, because I have to file my story. Yeah. Uh, that same day. And, uh, and, and, and I talked to a major collector and he said, okay, so maybe they're just not happening. So you're not finding them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I don't think they were happening. You know, later we found out that uh, several well, there was a, a thirteen and a half million dollar Francis Bacon that sold at uh, Van der Wege Fine Art, uh, but they weren't really that ubiquitous, you know. So that's something that I think is also going to be become more apparent uh, in two thousand sixteen. Katja, thanks so much for coming on and helping us recap the major storylines and trends over the past year in the art market and the art world. Our listeners should definitely read your writings on Bloomberg if they don't already. And you're also a great follow on social media. Uh, what are your uh, handles if our listeners want to follow you? Uh, on Twitter, it's Art Detective. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Katja. We appreciate appreciate it. Thank you. This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast was brought to you by BidSquare. BidSquare.com is an online platform where you can explore and bid online during an actual live auction. Browse and bid on a curated selection of fine art and antiques from over 90 trusted and vetted auction houses. BidSquare is the destination for collectors seeking exceptional, one-of-a-kind pieces. New art and decorative items are added every day. You can leave a bid or bid real-time during any auction. BidSquare's innovative technology connects you with trusted auction houses all around the world. Registration is free, so sign up now on bidsquare.com.